Hey, it's Thursday. It's Fan Drive Time. It's Ben Ennis. It's Blake Murphy. Only 90 minutes with Blake Murphy today, though. You 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 got to go. I got a flight to catch. I, I read, I got to be the first ever article I've ever written on wrestling. Written, you wrote an article? I said read. You said written. Oh, okay. Well, I meant read. I read the article that you wrote on sportsnet.ca about you Sami Zayn. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Well, I, yeah, I read everything that you write. Uh, but yeah, you're going to the elimination chamber. You will not be eliminated, but you will view those who are eliminated in the chamber mm-hmm. on Saturday in Montreal. Yes. Uh, very excited. So up at sportsnet.ca, I have a probably too long piece about the biggest story in wrestling right now, which is uh, Sami Zayn, Montreal's own. He was born in Laval, raised in, in Montreal. He's been wrestling there for over two decades and kind of unexpectedly finds himself in the biggest story in wrestling. Um, one of the rare times that WWE has done effective and consistent long-term storytelling with a, a story arc and a character arc. And he's in the main event in his hometown uh, challenging for the Undisputed Championship against Roman Reigns, whose title reign is now over 900 days. Yeah. Uh, the odds and he, and are he not was, great. He was he was beating up his buddy Kevin Owens, who is, yeah. is yeah. Yeah. From Maryville, Quebec, <laughs> just outside of Montreal. Okay. Uh, those two go back. They've been fighting together the and against each now. other for like 20 years. So uh-huh. um, it's a big one. And we saw Sami Zayn shooting at targets at the Montreal Canadiens game okay. uh, next to Yupi because they look alike. He did mm. the Spider-Man meme with it. Uh, it should be a lot of fun. And then you can, you know, if you're not in Montreal, you can also check that out on uh, Sportsnet Now. And the full audio of my interview with Sammy, which went like 40 minutes, mm-hmm. um, is up on .ca. I tweeted out a link earlier. It'll also air on uh, 590 The Fan a couple times over the course of the weekend to tee up that event. All right. The people who are into the wrestling going to get their full share of it uh, across all the uh, Sportsnet platforms. They're also going to get their full share of baseball, oh, as yeah. they always will. But today's top story is pitchers and catchers officially reporting today to Dunedin. And already, Blake, we got a narrative building. Shy Vidi with a couple of tweets from this afternoon. Mitch White experienced a right shoulder impingement when he began throwing in early January. Is a little bit behind in terms of workload ramp up, said John Schneider. May impact competition with Yusei Kikuchi for fifth starter spot. Secondarily, another tweet. Quote, I love what I've seen out of Yusei so far, said Schneider. He's made some small tweaks with his arm path and spent a lot of time in the offseason working on it. End quote. Quote, this makes a lot of sense, Blake, because you got uh, Mitch White, who is out of options. You got a Yusei Kikuchi, who is $20 million headed his way over the next two years. And wouldn't it be nice to not have to make a roster decision at the end of camp and keep one guy on the injured list and then one guy, the de facto fifth starter, the guy with a career high in strikeouts per nine last year. But yeah, couldn't find the broadside of a barn for the majority of the season. I think the ideal scenario is, yes, they're, well, the ideal scenario is they're both very good. And then you have uh, a good problem and you're you're looking at things like using Mitch White as your, you know, 2021 Ross Stripling version, which, uh, you know, you ha- obviously haven't been able to replace because there are, like seven Ross Striplings in the world. And if they become too good, they become 2022 Ross Striplings and are too valuable as starters to be in the bullpen. So I think that, you know, ideal scenario for this Jays team, Kikuchi is good enough to hold down the number five spot. Mitch White's the long man in the bullpen. But failing that, yeah, Mitch White 
you know, getting a late start to his ramp up and spending the first couple of weeks of the season with Buffalo or at Dunedin extended. Um, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world, if, especially if they want to keep him stretched out as a starter. And mm. if there are points in the schedule, and you certainly don't need this the first week or two, um, but if there are any windows where they anticipate using a sixth guy uh, at any point. So that would be beneficial. Uh, I'll say this, Rob Manfred's speaking at, the Jays complex in Dunedin right now. I'm crowning the winner of the number five rotation spot. The first guy to hit him with a ball. Ah, media or starting pitcher. I don't condone violence of any sort. So I disagree with that take. Um, There's going to be much worse pitchers than Mitch White and Yusei Kikuchi pitching out of the rotation for the Blue Jays this season. That's just the nature of the game. That's, that's how it goes down. They're the fifth starter. You look at the top end of this rotation, and especially if Jose Barrios can turn it around in a, in a real way, be at least an average to an above-average starter, this Blue Jays rotation has depth that is enviable across all of Major League Baseball. So this is not a huge story. And yeah, this is, this is a... Um, I mean, this is kind of the nature of also conversations around this time of year that everybody's hopeful. You, you, you put the rosy... Um, the sunglasses on that give everything a rose-colored tint. There is the reality, though, that Yusei Kikuchi, despite being signed to that big uh, contract by the Blue Jays, has spent very little time with this organization going into last year. There, was very, there wasn't the, the Robbie Ray ramp-up, right? There wasn't the acquiring him at the end of a previous season, an entire offseason, an entire spring training to figure out the kinks and get him ready for the regular season. If you were going to believe that Yusei Kikuchi is what he was for a half a season two years ago in the longer term, I guess that's what you're telling yourself. And this front office would probably tell you they liked some of the signs they saw when Kikuchi moved to the bullpen, at least in terms of attacking the strike zone aggressively with the fastball a little bit more often. The strikeout rate was way up. Uh, He walked everyone as well. Um, So I I don't know if you want to take that forward too much. I think there's something to he's had the whole offseason. I think there's also probably, you know, to be pessimistic, there's probably also something to the fact that in four seasons or partial seasons now, he's had a sub-five ERA once. Yeah, well, that's that's it. The the Blue Jays were buying on a half a season with the Seattle Mariners. And I think that this is why this is part of why the number five starter conversation is going to feel bigger than it might in some other camps because it's not you know anthony k and thomas hatch have graduated from triple a and one of them's going to get the number five role it's not mm. drew hutchison coming up although he's around yeah um, it's not drew hutchison of a couple years ago coming up and pushing for a spot it's a guy that is owed two years and 20 million still and was a big disappointment relative to his contract last year. And a guy who was one of your big trade deadline acquisitions and really wasn't effective once he got to Toronto. So I do feel like the nature of how those two landed on the roster makes this feel a little bigger because they have invested in both of these spots. Normally a a lot of teams around the league, the number five starter is, you know, whoever's around and, and can stay healthy and give you four or five innings. Like there are going to be teams going five and dive four and four and door. Uh, I yeah, guess you, you go to the door. I yeah. Suppose, um, like there are going to be teams doing that in their number five rotation spot or piggybacking guys yeah. or using openers and stuff. Uh, so this is a bit of a, a bit of a, I guess, good situation that, that you have multiple options there, yeah. but it does feel big because both of those guys were invested in and um, they're certainly not going to DFA Mitch white unless it gets to a point where he's just, 
unbelievably unplayable. Yeah. But he has at least a, no. a path to transitioning to the bullpen if he can't stick as a starter. Uh, with Yusei Kikuchi, I don't know. I think it's he's he's got a he's got to run with this. Yeah. I mean, they didn't um, they didn't cut off the Yusei Kikuchi growth last year. Oh, that was a weird way to call it. To, to uh, identify what happened with Yusei Kikuchi. They didn't cut him loose last year after he was abominable and, you know, transitioned him to a relief role and there was talk about demotion. And they kept, they kept him. And they did have $20 million still remaining to pay him over the next two years. They don't have the monetary um, buy-in when it comes to Mitch White, but they have the equity in trade that you mentioned. They gave up real stuff to go out and get him last year at the deadline. It's pitchers and catchers today, so mm-hmm. I, I figured we, we'd just go through the rest of the pitchers. And then the catchers as well, Blake. Um, Alec Manoa is a top five American League Cy Young Award candidate across just about every betting site that you check out, including Bet Rivers. Um, he was real good a season ago, and there's no reason to believe that he won't be real good. He's been real good since he stepped on a Major League Baseball mound. He's an interesting guy, though, because, well, he hits a lot of people, and he hit the most people in the American League two years in a row. The K rate went down slightly for him a season ago. Now he upped the workload as well, which may be part of it. But, yeah, the results were were good, and the advanced numbers were all good for him. You wonder, though, very few pitchers in the history of Major League Baseball go their entire careers without a little bump in the road. Like, it's – is. There are a season upcoming where Alec Manoa has to adjust to the adjustments that have been made to him. He's a known commodity now. He is. And I think that there will be some level of that. I think he's a guy that if you were looking for a person on the Blue Jays who might have to adjust their rhythm for the the tempo changes, you know, he is the slowest between time starter on the Blue Jays. Now he came in under the, under the kind of cutoff mm-hmm. that you'd use anyway, but, um, and I think any time that a guy's only entering his third year and second full year, you have to allow for a little bit of um, maybe not even regression because last year could be his true talent level. It's just show me the guys who maintain a 225 ERA year over year. There just aren't very many. So what is your baseline for Alec Manoa? Is it an ERA of three? Because that still has him in the Cy Young candidacy if he pitches 180 plus innings again. Is it closer to three and a half, just assuming some some bum luck and some of that uh, some of that strikeout decline catching up with them? I don't think I'd go that far. Um, I know that Zips has him for three forty three, but mm. Zips also isn't um, a huge believer sometimes in guys who came out of nowhere from the minors, like not out of nowhere as a prospect, but very little minor league track record. Yeah. Cause we didn't know what he did in that weirdo. Yeah. The, the camp that they had for the minor league players who had no minor league seasons. Right. And how do you account for that? Exactly. You can't. Um, well now we could probably look back and account for it, but you can't go back to 2021 and 2022 and account for it. So, um, you know, there are, I think a wide range of outcomes for Alec Manoa, I don't think there are many of those that skew to the uh, negative side. Like, like if he has a, a plus a four plus ERA, I'd be pretty shocked. Yeah, but a two twenty five ERA repeating, I'd also probably be pretty shocked because that's just really really difficult to do unless you are at the absolute elite echelon of strikeouts. Um, now, and I, I wonder too. This is something that um, you know I asked. Alec Manoa about at one point last year and he didn't really tip his hand but I do wonder if 
some of the decrease in strikeouts was about working more efficiently because yeah. he was more pitch efficient last year. He was able to, I mean, he went deep into games by current major league standards better than just about anyone last year. And the Jays really, really needed that. Was he not nibbling as much and not trying to set up strikeout pitches as much because he does do such a good job working down on the zone and getting weak contact. I would absolutely believe that for a guy who thinks the game at the level that he does and has the command of multiple pitches the way he does. So um, that's something that you can't, you know, the, the analytics or the projections or whatever can't really capture that element of something. No, they can't. He's uh, he's got that dog in him also, right? He do. <laughs> it, it It's stupid. And yeah, I don't, it's not something I fully believe in, but it is like, if there was one pitcher in Major League Baseball where I think it applies most to, it is the guy who doesn't strike people out, who doesn't throw a hundred, but gets outs on the rag and is a thousand feet tall and uh, yeah, a thousand pounds. And can commentate his own plate appearance, like his own inning yeah. on the mound and not really lose anything. Just be like, no, you know what? I, I could tell you everything that's going through my head as I do this. I don't need to hide my mouth with my glove. Go out there and hit it then. Um, it's a, it's also a funny thing. So I referenced the Zips, uh, which is a Fangraphs projection system. Earlier, Dan Zimborski, who uh, was a regular guest on Jay's Talk Plus last year, um, that's his baby. Uh, Baseball Prospectus also has their Pocota projections mm. out now, and that's uh, an old school one that goes back to the Nate Silver days. Uh, the great thing about that one is that it gives you percentile ranges, so it lets you look at okay, well, this is what we expect to happen, but what if everything breaks right? What if nothing breaks right? And you get a range uh, of outcomes that way. Also, I wrote the Jays essay in the Baseball Prospectus book this year, so uh, a little biased, but I like theirs uh, as well. And there, so if you look at the absolute high-end projection for uh, Alec Manoa there, it's, uh, it's pretty spicy. I mean, it's pretty spicy for a lot of guys because... It's, we're talking about the uh, 99th percentile there. Uh, but 280 ERA, 110 whip, pretty good. Yeah, he's real good. Um, Kevin Gossman also real good. His his goodness makes a little more sense as far as what we can identify. He doesn't allow people on base. <laughs> he, he strikes people out. Like that, that makes a whole lot of sense. And Alec Manoa doesn't let people on base either, but he doesn't strike people out. And he, he does, you know, he hits some people and he walks the occasional person. Um, oh, he hits <laughs> No, oh, listen. Oh, my pearls. That, that, that adds to my the... My pearls, they need to be clutched. He hits some guys. I, yeah, again, adding to the mystique, the lore, the dog that is within him. Kevin Gossman, I, I suppose also, I mean, everybody has a little bit of dog in him. Um, but yeah, he, he led the American League in strikeouts per walk last season. He was great by just about every measure, except he could have been better. Like, that's what's bizarre about Kevin Gossman's, uh, Gossman's season is that his advanced numbers, his FIP, his ex-FIP was all much better than his ERA that was three three five. So in his debut season, as impressive as he was, and you watched him on a day-to-day basis and, like, right out of the shoot, just like, man, never walked anybody could have maybe had a better season now throwing things for a loop this year is that Major League Baseball is going to make him do his job differently, and we'll see how that impacts how he performs this season. But, yeah, like, there's there's no reason to think uh, about a regression negatively for Kevin Gossman this season. There's, like, reason to believe that that there's even more there in in, in form of 
maybe a top five Cy Young Award performance. He was ninth last year in American League Cy Young Award win uh, voting. That would not surprise me at all. Last year, he actually had a career high in swinging strike rate. He missed bats better than he ever had before. Um, the batted ball profile didn't change dramatically, at least not enough to account for like almost a 100-point swing in his BABIP. Uh, I think he's also a guy who's going to benefit from the improved defense behind him. We'll see how the new park dimensions affect a guy who keeps the ball in the park very well, as he does. Um, but that's a guy who, you know, the defense... Some some of it is hard hit balls, some of it is line drives, but some of it is also the defense let him down at times last year. Um, he's also a guy who, if you're looking for pitchers who won't be affected a ton by the changing shift rules, well, the Jays pretty much went away from shifting yeah. with Gosman because he didn't like it and he was getting bled pretty badly. Um, maybe there's something to that splitter being something that you could poke through holes even if you can't hit it for power. Um you know, you'd have to talk to the, the hitter side of things about that. But, yeah, I think you can pretty safely look at what Kevin Gosman's done the last three years and for the last five, and that's who he is. And that's, you know, you could have a 335 ERA again, and it's because you, you know, you weren't quite as good at limiting the walks. A few more homers went out, but the BABIP came the other way. But, again, he's a guy who a, a year before that was a Cy Young Winner or did he win it? No, no, he didn't win it. No. But yeah, no, this is the new Kevin Gossman since he's yeah. figured it out. Uh, you know, going to the Cincinnati Reds and the San Francisco Giants and deciding to throw the splitter as often as he has. Um, this is the new normal for him. Oh, this yeah. is Corbin this- Burns won the 22. <laughs> yeah, guy. we'll get to him in a second. Yeah, uh, so I, I think, look, what I'm not trying to be positive or negative about Manoa or Gosman, but I think the most important thing here is when you look at the potential range of outcomes for two guys who have been very good with real consistency, having two of those guys at the top of your rotation is a luxury because, okay, what if Alec Manoa has, you know, a rough start or a rough patch? Well, Kevin Gosman's there and maybe he'll be on the, the better side of his range of outcomes and vice versa. And Hey, what if both of these guys are really, really good at the same time come September, which I don't think is out of the realm of possibility at all? No, their ceilings are super high. The next guy we're going to talk about, the new guy, Chris Bassett, I don't think his ceiling is nearly as high as a couple of guys who get Cy Young Award votes. But And, man, this is kind of what we said about Jose Barrios when the Blue Jays traded for him then signed him to a massive extension. Like, you know what to get, what, what to expect out of Chris Bassett, which is, yeah, no strikeouts, but soft contact like that works the sinker works he's able to keep the ball on the ground now the question is and i you know it's really difficult to answer because it's a brand new rogers center but how does his game translate not just to a new ballpark but a new division a new league entirely now baseball savant has a a and one of the many great things that baseball savant has it has an overlay of how many home runs you would have given up given a different home ballpark. Now, he gave up 19 playing in the cavernous ballpark in Queens in City Field. If he had played at Rogers Center, he would have given up five more home runs, 24 home runs at Rogers Center. The way it was built last year, which is entirely different this year, and yeah, again, early returns on the simulations, maybe not necessarily more conducive to home runs and maybe just higher batting average. But yeah, it's going to be... I, I don't think it's unreasonable to say that Chris Bassett's numbers might go up a tick, but that's fine as long as you're 
for the most part, keeping the ball on the ground. You also, I was going to say, yeah, I, you insulate yourself a little bit from that home run variability by being a, a ground ball artist. And he had a 49% ground ball rate last year. Uh, that should play, I mean, a ground ball rate that high plays well anywhere as long as you don't have just a disaster of a defense behind you. It will be a little interesting to see how that looks going from uh, a situation in New York where he had a better shortstop but a lesser third baseman, I think is fair to say, yeah. uh, relative to Bobachette and Matt Chapman. So um, that that part will be interesting to see play out. He is kind of one of those weird, like, find-a-way guys, too. Yeah. Nothing about him really oh. blows you away. Possibly also uh, that dog in him? Maybe. I was thinking more he's got that dork in him. Okay. Like like how Ross Stripling, you look at each pitch and you're like, I don't I don't really get it. How yeah. are you this good? Yeah. And then it's like, well, my changeup's really good. And then I just kind of outthink everyone and I'm so good. And I have so many pitches that I can locate in so many different places and throw in so many different counts. It's impossible to know what's coming. Chris Bassett has... I mean, Kevin Gosman joked about it the I know. other day. He needs two. He, he needs, needs like two, two pitch, pitch com comps. machines because he has too many pitches that you can't. You can't just put them on one. You need two. Yeah, Kevin Gosman's using like the old school Nintendo yeah. controller for his pitch com, <laughs> and then uh, yeah, Chris Bassett's got like the big bulky. I don't know Xbox three hundred and sixty or whatever the big controller one is. Uh, clearly, I'm not a video game guy. Bassett has a lot of different pitches, and I think that is a good thing for sustaining a high floor because it means that you have a lot of different ways to get guys out and a lot of different ways to pitch if something's not working. Again, probably not the upside. I don't think we'll see a repeat of that 229 ERA he had in in the shortened 2020. Um, He just doesn't strike enough guys out. And unlike Manoa, there's not that same level of, um, you know, being able to kind of dictate plate appearances and get those strikeouts when you need them. Yeah. But another guy who keeps the ball on the ground and doesn't give a lot of free passes. It's they've built a very injuries aside because you can never say this with pitchers, but it's a very high floor rotation. No, a hundred percent. Well, I think we just saw the floor though for Jose Barrios last season. I can't imagine it gets any worse than that. Like knock on wood, but the way his fastball is forcing fastball got beat up last year. You got to figure for a guy with that type of track record where there's nothing obvious as far as miles per hour, the way his fastball was moving, the different times that we thought maybe there was pitch tipping happening last year, that it can't be as bad as it was last year. And it was weirdly bad because when it was bad, it was awful. But when it was good, it was really good. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it's nice that you're not relying on that guy to start opening day, which they were last year, and I, at that game, and didn't go that well. We were at that. I think that was our first game together. <laughs> it was real bad. And uh, set the, the tone for a bad Blue Jay season, except they came back and won that game somehow against the Texas Rangers. So that's behind him. And maybe, you know what? For for a guy that's in a new place who signed a big contract, I, I can't discount the possibility that that played into his season to some degree, Blake, that being the man, the opening day starter, which he had been before for the Minnesota Twins, but it's a little different, Minnesota, than Toronto, where you have World Series aspirations and, and all the eyes are on you. And again, a seven-year contract extension. It's a big contract extension. It's a lot of weight to carry. Um, I don't know how much that that played into it. I think... Certainly, there's a mental aspect to once things start poorly, you are going through the back and forth and up and down of trying to figure it out, right? And I, I it hit a point in the season where 
you know, on Jay's Talk Plus, and I would talk talk to Ricky Romero about this or, or Joe Siddle or whoever, and you and I discussed it as well. At a certain point, you're just, I think, hoping for the offseason to come because every start we were hearing, well, it's a different place on the mound or it's a different arm position or mm-hmm. his front leg is in a slightly different spot or, hey, it's the fastball getting teed off on, so go away from it and throw the sinker more or the curveball is your only pitch that's being effective, so throw it more and then you hit a critical mass of throwing it too much and it starts getting hit because they know you don't trust your fastball. I think that constant tinkering start to start probably carries as much of and pro- I would think a bigger toll than just the weight of the contract and the opening day starter and stuff. Um, this is a guy who was the most consistent pitcher in baseball for five seasons and then start to start couldn't maintain any level of consistency. So that's a guy I think the the offseason probably uh, mentally has done some wonders for. Don't think we're going to see, you know, at age 28, almost 29, an uptick in fastball velocity necessarily. But that wasn't it. But like you, you it, look, it look across his career. It wasn't. But when you only throw 94, yeah. and it's a fairly fat, flat fastball. You have to be very precise with it. And you have to make sure every little bit of tunneling of, of how you sequence the sinker off of it and the curveball off it. Like all of that stuff has to be pristine as it was the five years prior, um, because you're not just going to power through outs. I still think he's got one of the best curveballs of baseball. So mm-hmm. you know, all, all I need to see is that fastball locating a little bit to set up the curveball, And I, I'll, I'll get the confidence back that like, he's the fourth guy we're talking about here. Jose Brios is your fourth starter. Oh, it's a, a great year situation. ago would have seemed like an enormous luxury. Yeah. Uh, and part of it is performance, obviously. Yeah, But pitchers have bad years. Yep. No, for sure. Yeah. The fastball thing is super weird because while he hasn't had an above average uh, fastball as far as results since 2019, it hasn't been nearly as bad as it was last year. And you just look across the board, like th- the big outlier is that opponents hit 349 with a 618 slug against his, uh, his four seamer last year. Uh, his whiff rates on, on the other pitches, all nice and good. It was just the fastball, whether they were able to discern when it was coming or yeah, it's a sequencing thing or whatever. It was entirely when he threw that four seamer, it was going over the wall. Did you say it's a six eighteen slugging against his fastball? That's correct. That would be the fifth highest slugging percentage of all time for a career. Yeah. No, it's really bad. It's right there in between Mule Suttles and Turkey Stearns. Uh, yes, we remember them uh, fondly. Mule and Turkey. Yeah. That's, uh, we're, have... we're, not, we're not nicknaming guys like we used to no. in sports. No, we just say everyone has that dog in them. Yeah, it's uh, maybe too much. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right, let's take a break. We didn't get to the catchers. We'll get to them later. Uh, also, Tiger Woods is playing. He's just birdied, so he's one under in his first round non-major category since uh, 2020. We mentioned the Corbin... Burns Cy Young Award from a couple of years ago. Um, He spoke today as well as the Brewers opened up their spring training. He lost his arbitration hearing. They were arguing over what, like Mm $700,000? Okay. He he was uh, very vocal about that. Well, you know what? We'll play that for you and we'll play it while our next guest is on the line because he also lost an arbitration hearing back in his playing days. Caleb Joseph joins us, Sportsnet Blue Jays analyst as the fan drive time continues. Ben Annis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy. Blue Jays officially opening up spring training today with the mandatory reporting date for pitchers and catchers. And while it's been a couple years since uh, our next guest played in the major leagues of baseball, I imagine there's still like a part of him that, you know, feels like he he belongs on a backfield in Florida right now. It's Caleb Joseph, Sportsnet Blue Jays analyst who joins us. How's it going, Caleb? Yeah, it's going great. You're right. It is a little bit odd reading some of the headlines and seeing early reports out of spring training and being stuck in rainy, cold weather here in Nashville. It is a bit weird. Yeah, but I'm sure you got Tiger's first round uh, at the Genesis on, right? In the background? I know you do. How do you know? Literally, I'm, I'm literally uh, staring at it right now. You're, uh, you're good. I know, I know. Uh, okay, so we'll start with something that, that, that uh, might uh, bring up some, some negative memories of your, your playing time, but I got to get your perspective on this. So uh, I mentioned going into the break that Corbin Burns reported to Brewers spring training for the first time since he lost his arbitration hearing. He wanted 10 point. Uh, seven five million. The Brewers said, "Nah, we'll give you ten point oh one." He lost it. He'll be making ten point oh one this year. You, of course, Caleb, lost your arbitration hearing against the Orioles. I want to save your conversation about that until we play everybody the clip from spring training. Here is Corbin Burns, a Cy Young winner from two years ago, talking about his arbitration hearing. At the hearing flew in the night before. Um, had the hearing all day Tuesday. Um, spent Valentine's Day on a plane. Um, got home at you know ten eleven o'clock and and got to see my wife before she fell asleep. So that was kind of how the Valentine's Day went. So that was that was fun. But um, yeah, like I say, you, you kind of find out your true value. Um, you think you you work hard for seven years in the organization and five years with the with the big league team, and um, you get in there and basically they, they value you much different than what you thought you you contributed to the organization. Um, and it's just you know it's. Obviously, it's tough to hear, it's tough to take, but you know they're trying to do what they can to win a hearing. Um, but I think there was obviously other ways that they, they could have gone about it, um, and um, probably been a little more respectful with the, with the way they went about it. But um, you know, it, at the end of the day, here we are. Um, you know, they they obviously they won it, um, but it, it, when it came down to to winning or losing the hearing, it was it was more than that for me. Corbin, this is everyone's fear for a player, especially a star player, going to a hearing that it creates just some maybe. Not bad blood, but just some hard feelings that weren't there before. Um, how, how do you guys repair that? Yeah, I mean, there's there, there's no denying that the relationship is definitely definitely hurt from um, you know what what perspired over the last couple of weeks. Um, yeah, there's there, there's really no way getting around that. Um, obviously, we're, we're we're professionals, and we're going to go out there and, and do our job, and I'm going to keep giving what I can every five, every fifth day that I go out there. But um, you know, when some of the things that are said that. Um, you know, for instance, basically, basically put me in the forefront of, of the reason why we didn't make the postseason last year. I mean, that's something that probably doesn't need to be said. You know, we can go go about a hearing without having to do that. Um, so that's kind of one of those things that, you know, obviously, you know, they, there was no attacking of, of character, of, you know, person of who I was, but um, just the just the some of the stuff that was said that you know definitely didn't need to be um, said is, is is something that you know I think kind of disappointed everyone. Oh, uh, he gone. Uh, he is he's a free agent at the conclusion of the 2024 World Series, and uh, there is no doubt that the Brewers will be trying to trade him going into that final year of his deal because there's no way he's coming back. Uh, Caleb, I mentioned you were in arbitration in 2017 over $300,000, and the Orioles beat you for that money. Can you relate to the, the sentiment we just heard? 
Yeah, I can. I, I spent a long time with the Orioles, uh, like Burns, and there was, you know, there, there's relationships that are built, and you know, it's personal. It's not supposed to be personal, but it, it just feels that way. And remember, I'm coming off of that year breaking a major league record for uh, no RBIs in an entire season. So, you know, Corbin Burns, if that's the worst said about him he actually got it pretty easy i was absolutely berated in that um arbitration case being the oh man he's getting right (laughs) so when we get caleb back i'm curious his take two on them putting wins and losses on corbin burns because he he went 12 and 8 yeah but we're past that like he threw over 200 innings with a sub three era he allowed one run over the last 13 innings that he pitched down the stretch including three perfect innings in like the must win yeah finale that they lost yeah no it's it's uh man here's another thing i will say and i'm getting i'm getting it on twitter a little bit because at the beginning of this bo bichette thing <laughs> i went on the jd bunkers podcast and i did try to downplay it right because you know, Bo is the, the son of a major leaguer. And, of course, yeah, this is all happening in a specter of Bo Bichette avoiding arbitration with the Blue Jays, signing a three-year deal, which takes him to free agency. But at the time, I said, okay, I get it. Like, it, you're not going to like what you hear there, but everybody's professional. Everybody can put that behind them and move on. And I, I, I can't help but think that, yeah, that there's really few players in Major League Baseball that can put it behind them, least of which uh, the star players. But, yeah, Caleb, you were in, in the middle of – of talking about how the the Orioles raked you over the coals in 2017. Yeah, I'm dodging tornadic activity down here, so just uh, bear with me. But it wasn't as nasty as the arbitration case. Like I was saying, I, I broke the record for basically the worst player of all time ever in the major leagues. And so it was tough. It was tough to go in there and hear that, knowing how they they really felt about you. Uh, as soon as the trial was over, they, they were ready to be buddies again. But it was tough. It was tough here in... Um, a lot of the, the, the negative stuff yet, you know, it's a business, but I will say on the flip side, I didn't realize how good I was on defense until I went into that arbitration hearing. So it was, it was a 50, 50. I, I realized, wow, I'm, I'm actually a pretty good defender in this league. And then I realized, wow, this truly is a business. And, oh, oh man. I, I thought he was going to hang on there. Is there like horrible weather happening in Nashville right now? Tornadic activity sounds like not so good. Yeah, I don't I don't know what's going on down there uh, other than, yeah, it's there is a tornado watch right. going on. It's it's nice, though. It's 18 degrees Celsius. It's <laughs> temperate as you blow away into the atmosphere. Um, yeah, if I make an arbitration case against Caleb Joseph, it's internet connection, number one. Hey, we can't get you on any of the pitcher-catcher meetings during <laughs> yeah, the offseason. Yeah, so I don't know where you were, Blake, at the beginning of the Bobuchet conversation. That yeah, okay, Marcus Stroman had some very public comments about his feelings about the the hearing that he had to go through between himself and the Blue Jays. But Marcus Stroman, not exactly known to downplay, you know, ill feelings <laughs> towards people. And again, not the son of a former Major League Baseball player and and you know felt like he had to overcome a lot which he did because he was a diminutive guy and even when he put up great minor league numbers there were many who still doubted his his capabilities as a starter when he arrived on the scene also rushing back from injury to contribute to that postseason run that's not something that the arbitration process can capture right yeah so where were you on on because i've done a total 180 honestly like i i not that i didn't think it was a factor when it comes to an organization's decision whether to acquiesce and and 
at all costs avoid an arbitration hearing. I certainly thought, like, you don't want to go to an arbitration hearing, but, man, I thought it was... It would not have the, the, the long-lasting effects, which it, it obviously had with Marcus Stroman, which was one of a myriad of, of disagreements between he and the front <laughs> office, I think. And clearly, Corbin Burns, like... And, and maybe you don't have to be as harsh as the Brewers were to the guy that won the Cy Young Award two years ago and is one of the best pitchers in all of baseball, but it's hard not to imagine that Bo Bichette would have pretty similar comments if he went through that thing last Thursday. Yeah, I don't think it's a... Good thing. I don't, uh, I mean, Bo Bichette was pretty open that he thinks the process is flawed. Um, I, I can certainly see that argument. Um, this is, uh, it's a tough one. I, I think, you know, I was closer to your side at the beginning that someone who's been through it, someone who grew up around baseball, someone who, you know, knew enough to in the, um, in the pre-arb years, say don't even give me that pittance of a raise like i would like to put my foot down now that that's not enough and i don't i think that's a sign of disrespect i i erred more on the side of well i think they'll figure it out and i think like you can manage it with boba but there's also there was also the the kind of specter of well do you have to if you get to an arbitration case how do you touch the what's the future position that was the one big thing that I was a little uneasy about. If they mm. have to start trashing his defense and being like, hey, we see you as a second baseman sooner than later because you're not very good defensively at shortstop, that I think could have been uh, a rip in mm. the relationship. But no, I was I was closer to your side that uh, I think people figure it out. Yeah, I generally, yeah, think that. But man, it's, it's hard not to be swayed to the other side of the equation. Again, Caleb Joseph rejoining us it's not your fault you are you were there are there's there's real tornadic activity in nashville it turns out yeah it is baseball season so we've we've swung and missed twice hopefully we don't strike out here on this third last chance (laughs) all right anything any final comments towards the orioles in 2017 who 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 made you feel bad about your zero rbi season in 2016 (laughs) Well, I'll say, and I don't know what you heard. The positive was you, you do go into that process and you hear how good you are in certain areas. So as tough as it was to hear some of the real thoughts on their side, it was good to hear uh, where you were efficient. And I heard kind of the tail end of, of y'all's chat with Bo. I, I think it's great that they were able to avoid uh, a hearing. It does, no matter how tough you think you are, thick-skinned, I mean, you've got to be pretty thick-skinned to go an entire season without an RBI and still suit up every day and show up in front of fans. But when you hear it from the people that you've kind of been around for over a decade, which Bo has with the Blue Jays, it, it does. It stings and it can fracture relationships. So I'm glad they were able to avoid that, and it just bodes well for both parties, uh, hopefully for a very long-term um, um, future past this uh, three-year extension. Yeah, that's the hope. All right, let's move on to, to, to something else here that is um... – now a bubbling issue uh, around Major League Baseball. I shouldn't call it an issue because it's it's really going to benefit guys who throw a million pitches like Chris Bassett, who's now going to be able to call his own game. But, like, we're headed towards maybe a Major League Baseball where we, we've got robot umpires in the not-too-distant future where framing is not a thing for Major League catchers. Now maybe throwing up base dealers becomes a more important thing with the bigger bases and and the the limits on pickoff attempts. But... What do you think? There, there's now a scenario in which the pitcher can decide, hey, I'm holding on to this pitch comp thing. 
Catcher, you get ready to, to catch whatever I call because I'm calling my own game. Yeah, for the advanced players, the guys who really know how to navigate a major league lineup, who have a really defined plan, thinking four or five pitches ahead, knowing how they want to navigate that at-bat, they're going to benefit from that and being able to speed the game up. Uh, this is really nothing new, though, to be honest with you. I've had pitchers in the past, tons of pitchers who would signal me whether they walked towards the home plate to catch the ball that I threw back to them the way they caught it, the the first move they made, whether it was a tip of the cap, they would always uh, give me signs, and we knew what they were, obviously, what they wanted to throw the next pitch. I had a pitcher that every time he uh, stepped off the rubber and grabbed the rosin bag, it was a certain pitch. And uh, so this isn't really anything new, but I, I do like the fact that, you know, having to telegraph it through signals, you can just use the uh, the pitch comm. That will help speed up things. It will, it will force some pitchers to think ahead if they want to use that they're going to have to think you know ahead and really try and play the chess game and that's what i love about the pitcher catcher relationship is trying to think ahead and catchers are going to be now with the pitch clock they're going to be forced to kind of think quicker and hopefully think two and three pitches ahead i remember going to the minor leagues in 2019 i hadn't played the minor leagues in a long time and the pitch clock was installed and i could not believe how fast the game was moving you hear a lot of major leaguers talking about slowing the game down. It's very tough to do that in the minor leagues when the pitch clock is running. So you've got to think fast. You've got to be two and three moves ahead. It's going to really push catchers to really game plan out and really think about sequencing in terms of numerical values of how they want to get to certain pitches. And it's going to definitely speed the game up. That's for sure. Caleb, could you see this leading to a little bit more of a, pitcher catcher relationship just in terms of hey this is your catcher because you do know how to communicate you do know how to stay on the same page there is an efficiency of game plan uh we know the blue jays have two very capable catchers who you know have improved defensively and everyone says the world about danny jansen as a game caller um so they could probably each handle whoever in the staff um but would you see uh, an efficiency in hey this is your guy this is your guy let's keep the communication consistent and kind of streamlined now yeah I, I always found that that was a huge positive i remember catching gosman quite a bit in baltimore and the more you catch a guy the more you learn him the more you face certain teams and certain lineups you just you just kind of know you start to know what they're thinking and especially with a guy like bassett who's brand new it's really tough in spring training because he's working on certain things and he not might not be showing you his exact sequences that he likes to go to in certain situations and i always found that when you're catching new guys it takes an entire month or longer to figure out how those guys like to navigate in a game-like scenario. Yes, they're real games in spring training, but it's totally different because he might be working on a certain pitch and he is going to throw it to a certain batter that he would never throw to in a certain count in a spring training game because it doesn't matter. But yeah, I could definitely see the pairing up and getting really consistent with that. The, the downside is you, you might be lacking in something offensively. If uh, say Kirk's super hot, maybe you kind of want to ride that out a little bit or vice versa. If Danny's hot, that might throw something into the mix. But uh, you know, the question is, what do you want more? Do you want a little bit more uh, continuity on defense or would you like the possibility of a little extra on offense I, I tend to like to go to the defense because those pitchers are out there throwing 175 200 
pitches making 200 decisions. You're only up there with the bat three, maybe four times, uh, but it all matters. So I do think, yeah, there's going to be a lot more communication. It might not be verbal. It might be auditory, but there's going to be, you're going to learn pitchers quicker, especially when they are pushing in the numbers, you can understand their thinking and then you'll be able to go back and uh, you might have something as a catcher where you think, okay, five pitches earlier uh, in the inning, you, you wanted that that change up in a two oh count of tell me tell me why you wanted that pitch. I was thinking slider. Hmm. And you can start having these conversations where when you're calling the game they're just kinda of shaking no or no and no or or they'll agree and I can't tell you how many times as a catcher a pitcher would come back and say, Yeah, you know, I was really thinking change up there, but you know, you had conviction with the fastball, so I just threw the fastball. Well, it doesn't mean I'm either right or he's wrong, but man, it like I always thought the best pitch was the pitch the pitcher had the most conviction with. So with them going ahead and punching it in first, you know their most convicted pitch. So it's good. It's good to get to to, to feel that and uh, and experience that. I'm I'm sad I won't get to experience it, you know, anymore. But these guys they have a real advantage on their hands now. Yeah. Now you get to watch it. It's almost as good. Um, before we let you go. Um, so yeah, the, the, the Blue Jays have cleared up their catcher log jam. It's, it's, I think the guy that I, I don't know, I'll just speak for myself. I least expected to move was the guy with the highest value, obviously in Gabriel Moreno. Um, you've been in communication with, with the Blue Jays catchers before. I mean, they perform, they perform super well, despite the potential of one, uh, of them being traded this off season. They both return this year. Is there anything to maybe a relief? setting in that, hey, the, the catcher of the future and, and the guy that might be taking your job is now no longer on this roster. Yeah, it's always nice to feel job security without a long-term extension. I was a year-to-year guy, and even though there were years that I felt like I've kind of got it locked down, it is nice to, to not feel like you're looking behind in the, uh, in the rearview mirror all the time. Yet, with that being said, I talked to Danny Jansen last year, halfway through the season, and he kind of got off to a little bit of a slow start. And then he kind of came running really quickly after those in, uh, injuries. And I asked him, I said, well, what do you got? And he said, you know what? Sometimes it's really nice to feel like somebody's breathing down your neck. So it is kind of a double-edged sword. It's really nice to, to kind of feel settled in and not feel like there's anybody uh, chasing after you and just kind of relax and play that way yet there are times when you know sometimes it's good to to feel a little bit of heat on the back end and think all right i, I gotta put some put together some good abs i gotta call a good game and have a good stretch here man they, there's a guy down in 3a hitting 330 so it's a little bit of a double-edged sword i i do think though that they're gonna they're gonna really thrive those two are really good they're great with the pitchers they have great communication skills and we've seen at any given time both of them can can really kind of carry a team on offense and uh from the catcher position that's a it's a great problem to have no they're really good and stuff uh tiger woods even par but while you were on the line he made a bogey so so hang up and perhaps he'll, uh, he'll turn it around get back into red figures caleb uh look hey, at I, what i'm just glad we made it through uh without striking out yeah. on our first uh first go at it this season yeah well done by us it, it took a couple of attempts but we made it happen man <laughs> I, I i can't wait to see you uh down at the ballpark this year thanks for doing this man yes you guys got it you got it yeah there's caleb joseph sportsnet blue jays analyst um yeah i'm surprised that it was moreno on the move but like i said he was the guy with the most value pretty clearly 
And if you get, well, what Danny Jansen has provided offensively over the half two seasons that he's been healthy for over the last two years, and I think we all know what Alejandro Kirk is offensively, and you want to talk about him being the guy that maybe you have to worry about being on the field. He played 139 games last year. Now, 51 of those were at DH, and maybe those at-bats are not available with Brandon Belt. But, yeah, still, Blue Jays are one of the teams with the best catching situation in all baseball. They certainly are. One of the things that we're going to be analyzing a lot over the course of spring training and early this season as well is how those two guys control the running game because there are going to be a lot more stolen base attempts this year. I think with the bigger bases and and the pitcher tempo rules, uh, the Blue Jays last year offensively second worst in the league in stolen base percentage. Uh, And I could not believe this when I looked at they attempted an above average number of stolen bases last year, just just barely above league average. Could not That's believe it. something, but it's because they got caught stealing so much that they uh, that it doesn't feel that way. Uh, be very interesting to see how Kirk and Jansen control the run game, especially with Kevin Gosman. We'll see. All right, fan drive time continues.